guys, it's Montel here with another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we talk about everything and anything cannabis to see if we can give you a little extra information to help you make some really good decisions and make good choices as you try to navigate this space. And today, we're really happy to be joined by a New York certified medical marijuana physician himself, one who runs an alternative health care facility that's committed to the New York State's medical marijuana program. His office mission is to provide its patients with compassionate service designed to alleviate their suffering and is one of the first Manhattan in Manhattan to be certified in specialized services of medical marijuana evaluations, medical marijuana recommendations, and also medical marijuana certifications. Specializes in integrative and hands-on approach to treat his patients in education and can tailor a remedy to each patient to help them with their specific particular needs. He's also the director of the Health Education Learning Program, Inc., and author of the book, Medical Marijuana, Real Life Success Stories. Ladies and gentlemen, so proud, and thank you so much, Dr. Thomas O'Brien, for being here today. Thank you. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. As 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 a doctor, this was not always your field. What did you start out in? That's correct. Well, my originally my training is in uh, family medicine, mm-hmm. so I'm a residency uh, trained family physician, specifically an osteopathic family physician. So right. I take a holistic approach when I look at my patients. It's not just I'm looking at the cellular level. I'm looking at the patient, the mind, body, spirit, or mind, body, soul. I look at a complete patient. Okay, so you were doing that before you became and got interested in utilizing cannabis as one of you know, the weapons in your arsenal to help treat some issues that that some patients have. Now, what actually convinced you to look at cannabis and really look at it? Right. Uh, Well, I had a colleague of mine about four and a half, almost five years ago, uh, reach out to me, said, New York State is going to go certify uh, for medical marijuana. And I, you know, had no idea of medical marijuana. You know, of course, growing up, you know, about marijuana. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, I'm a lifetime drug free. I was an athlete growing up. Uh, I'm not saying athletes don't do foolish things, but uh, I just was a lifetime uh, drug free. So I said, let me look at this. And then I realized that the, this was natural and my approach to medicine is natural. And I said, you know what, this aligns well with the way I practice. It's like you said, another arsenal is being a military background, the terminology we use. <laughs> another tool in that arsenal. That's correct. correct. Right? Yes. And I just felt that it really fit my needs and I can really make a difference in the community. And you, you, as, as you know, and well aware of, uh, of the abuse of specifics like opioids, um, that we can make a difference and get individuals off opioids with this natural, and it's natural, not synthetic. So I said, this is for me. Um, You know, um, I didn't want to come across as like a snake oil salesman, and so I had to do a lot of research. (laughs) And as I kept reading journals, especially uh, specifically coming out of uh, Israel and then uh, Toronto, uh, but West Coast, and every time I read an article, there was new terminology, and it raised more questions, and I had to read and read and read. And I said, this was for me, and I made that decision. And I think that's one of the things that we ought to just hit on real quick right here as people are listening and tuning in. The information has been here for a long time. I've been involved in cannabis uh, you know, um, uh, research and, and and actually, you know, trying to support the fact that, you know, patients should be able to have a private conversation with their doctor right. 
without anybody interfering in that. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody steps in and has a conversation with a, a doctor when they, they order chemotherapy for someone and they burn a person from the inside out. Right. Nobody has a, opens their mouth and says a word. But, you know, they seem to think that they have the opportunity to step up and get in the middle of a conversation with a doctor and a patient when it comes to using cannabis. And I've been using cannabis now for close to 20 years. I've been an advocate and, and, and actually, you know, worked in this state, state of New York, uh, all over the country, New York, California, Oregon, uh, Arizona, Florida, um, Connecticut, New Jersey, for 20 years, long before it became Vogue. Right. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the research has been there for over 20 years. You know, this U.S. government has given itself the patent on CBD. So it's not like this is something that just came about yesterday. Why do you think it's so hard to get other doctors to understand? I mean, the uh, person becomes a doctor, they will research Mm -hmm. information about whatever their specialty is. Why can't we get doctors, medical schools to stop the stupid and start at least sharing the data that has been peer reviewed for now close to 25 to 30 years? Right, right. Uh, well, the stigma that's attached to it, uh, you have to look at old school thought process versus new school, younger, the newer generation are more open and they're, they're uh, more uh, appreciative and accepting of new techniques and new uh, procedures. With the older generation, they're very boxed in, um, set in their ways. With medicine, everything has to be peer-reviewed. If it's not peer-reviewed, they're not going to lean in that direction. They're going to question it. And so when you start to read research on the can- cannabinoids and cannabis, some of it's not peer-reviewed or mm-hmm. m- majority of it's not peer-reviewed. It's, it's, it's individuals who stepped up and decided to write about the success. Uh, and they're not going to, um, you, you know, uh, how much... Uh, value are they going to put towards that article? And that's how we're trained. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be peer-reviewed. But there is a lot of peer-reviewed articles that have been published, especially out of Israel, with with research that's been funded by the United States government. And I think a lot of other people at home need to also understand that we've been researching at the University of Mississippi, though, albeit researching probably some of the worst cannabis ever grown by man at the University of Mississippi for now well over 35 years. And this data has been published, has been put out, has been discussed, talked about, and it's almost like it's just ignored. Right, right. Uh, It's political as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who's going to control the the funds in what direction? Mm -hmm. Uh, Lobbyists. Uh, also, uh, with the hospitals, they're federally qualified health centers, so they're not going to jeopardize the federal funds by prescribing something that is not uh, certified by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why you don't see hospitals get involved. And then you have the personal choices of the physicians. Uh, do they believe it or not? Uh, it's just like uh, me being an osteopath. Um, if you go back 40, 50 years ago, we were called quacks. We right. were the original quacks before right. chiropractors. Right, you know, they right. came, chiropractors came from us. The founding father studied under our founding father. So it took time for the allopathic uh, medical societies to finally accept us and understand that we have the same exact training. So it, it takes time. Uh, part of that is uh, 
the physicians were being treated by osteopaths and then training with them and seeing how well we did. Mm-hmm. And then they finally accepted us. I mean, we had to open up our own hospitals. Uh, so it, this sure. is going to go through the same thing, uh, same process with, with uh, medical marijuana. And as you've seen, now we've done the research and, and you're actually certified here in the state of New York to actually dispense, to recommend, to discuss with your patients medical marijuana and, or I should say medical cannabis, I'll drop the term marijuana. Right, I do the same. same. You know, um, but, you know, even in the state right now, I've had discussions with several doctors in this state who will go, you know, well, put the hand up by their mouth and say, well, you know, I mean, I I agree, but, you know, we can't do anything with that here in this hospital. When can we get beyond the stupidity of the stigma? Right. Well, that's the federal government. So we need to uh, really lobby for the federal government to change the way and, and open this up so it's federalized. Mm-hmm. And then the insurance companies will fall suit and they'll be able to cover the expense of uh, the cannabis is pretty expensive, especially here in, in New York City, uh, compared to like West Coast. Uh, it's about uh, two to three times more expensive here in New York City or New York State, I should mm-hmm. say, in general uh, than like California. And I think you're going to see that change here very, very quickly as as New Jersey continues to expand its medical marijuana program yes. and makes it more available to people in the state of New Jersey. You're going to see people from New York just going across the – taking go through the tunnel and picking <laughs> up – so as soon as New York starts losing a little revenue, they're going to get a grip and understand that maybe we ought to get back to some reality, I right, think, here. Right, right, right. Um, now, you know, as you, as you talk to patients, though, not only is there a stigma with doctors – and a hesitancy with doctors, but there is a generational hesitancy among some patients because they've been beaten over the head, let's say, for most of their life talking about, you know, the ills and the bad side of cannabis rather than wanting to accept the fact that there's new information. Right, right. Well, my job is to educate. I'm an educator first mm-hmm. uh, before a physician. We always say uh, you're a detective, educator, then physician. You must detect, educate, then treat. Uh a lot of patients, they want a cure. We say there's no cures in medicine. We say there's treatments. Cures means it'll never come back, which we know pathology, medical conditions re- return. So what I do is I educate my my patients or the community because I do give presentations. I said, well, there is a difference between recreational versus medicinal. And then I start to explain the difference, especially the percentage of THC compared from one to the other. And I always reference the character Spicoli of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I said, um, you know, that would be recreational where your THC could be anywhere from 60 to 91 percent. By volume. Yeah, it's it's very high. Uh, With uh, medicinal, we're about 20, 25 percent. And so my function and my, uh, my mission is to make you comfortable and functional so you can have quality of life. And once they start to understand, and I said there is a difference, and I show and I give them paperwork, and uh, and I start to treat them. I get them back and a month later because I do a month follow-up, and they just give me the thumbs up. I said I should have started this a long time ago. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of people are starting to understand. I mean, you know, again, you know, we do research on, on medicines. I, I, I always think back, and, and I know it seems crazy to liken cannabis in a way to the marisol, or not, not the marisol, but the thalidomide. Mm-hmm. If you remember, you know, there was a time in this country when doctors prescribed thalidomide for women for postpartum and for partum issues mm-hmm. and or pregnancy issues and caused probably the most horrific 
birth defects that the world has ever seen. Right. Now, 20 years later, we have taken another look at that same drug and recognize that that drug has some very specific benefits for multiple diseases that don't cause birth defect and and aren't used for women who are pregnant. And that's a viable treatment alternative for several different illnesses now. Right. So, you know, maybe we should stop for a second and think, how do we translate that same information over to the masses to make them understand that maybe something that we vilified yesterday, we now found out through science and research, there's some benefits to Right. Well, that's the, I would say, education, and that's sure. really the government. Uh, like you and I, our pockets are only so deep, and we can go out and do podcasts and yes. TV shows. Uh, but the government, my, my issue is, and what I find that n no one in New York State from the government side is educating our community that medical marijuana, medical cannabis is available. Don't, don't, don't blame just New York. I'm going to tell you that I've been involved again. 20 years of advocacy across this country, and we get to a point now where we have cannabis available, availability, mm -hmm. but the industry itself is doing itself a disservice mm -hmm. by not stepping up to the plate and trying to educate as much as they possibly can. Right. You know, we have now, you know, you can go and depending on the state you go to, you can walk into dispensaries where, you know, I don't, with my experience, I have a hard time navigating the 7,000 different options that are there before me with pretty packaging and those kinds of things. You don't have the slightest idea what's in what you're actually trying to purchase. And that's really what drove me back to get back into the industry and actually become a, a formulator myself because I got sick and tired of going into places trying to find something that would affect the symptoms of my illness mm -hmm. and seeing that it was so adulterated with so much garbage that I decided, you know what, if you can't, what is that all saying? If you can't find some, somebody to do something right, then do it yourself. So I started doing it myself. Right. And then once I've figured out that I have something that literally is giving me benefit from my illness, which is MS and mm -hmm. also suffered stroke, but something that was benefiting me, why should I not make that available to other people? Right. And, and, Unfortunately, though we started doing that, I have literally been on this mission to try to see if I can start to educate. But I, I, I wonder why is not the medical community really demanding more CMEs and more discussions with doctors? I'm putting on lectures almost every day of the week where doctors can come out and patients can come out and sit in the same room and learn. Right. Why is there hesitancy now? I it's it's the medical societies, you know. We mm -hmm. we have to uh, again. Who's running the medical societies? Sure. Is it the old school, right. uh, the old generation, the old guard versus the new guard? <laughs> I had a, a a doctor who's one of the top neurological brain doctors. This person studies in the brain. I don't find it was just crazy. And he, he looked at me one day and he said, I'm going to tell you something. You know, it is a fact that the medical community is probably the worst when it comes to anything transformative. Anything transformative in medicine is met with the most vehement and adamant opposition rather than open arms and accepting. Right, right, exactly. Well, medicine in America is conservative to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're very slow at bringing on new concepts. Uh, in New York, it's even more conservative. We're ultra conservative. Uh, we don't 
experiment on our own people. So what we do is we look at other countries and we see what they're doing. We see something positive and then we'll start to look at it and then eventually we study it. So that's part of it. It's, it's just the way the nature of how medicine evolved, uh, especially in America. We, we don't really experiment. That's why you ha a lot of uh, individuals who have some sort of pathology, they'll leave and go to a different country to, for experimental procedures. Mm -hmm. uh, we can easily do those procedures here in America, but because of, of, you know, oh, medical society. Litigious society. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can sign paperwork and uh, uh, release forms, but still the physicians uh, could be liable. It's just like with me. When I first got certified, I'm exposed, you know. Um, you know, in New York State, they said they're not going to go after the physicians. But my license still, let's say the federal government decides, you know, we're going to crack down on this. Sure. I'm exposed. And I was willing to take the risk. But when you get to certain, you know, uh, experimental procedures, you, right. you lose your livelihood. And, you Absolutely. know, this is not a four year. This is for me, it was 16 years before I can go out and start treating patients. So it's, it's almost two decades, you know, wow. to take care of people. I'm doing this almost 30 years now. So. Sure. And you're treating now, well, you have a practice of about 1,100 patients? Yeah, I certified uh, probably just a little bit more than 1,100 patients. Mm -hmm. I thought I would have a lot more. You know, New York City has anywhere from 8 to 12 million people in the city. Uh, it's just getting the knowledge out there. People still don't know that this is available. And you figure in today's day with all the, the social media, people don't know. And if they do know... Um, I think some people, are, they're reticent because their name has to go on somebody's list. Yes. And therefore, they're afraid that somebody's going to come knocking on their door and questioning them. So it makes it tough for people who are trying to find just basic relief. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I have majority of my, when I first opened up my practice, it was pretty much full spectrum. Um, all, almost all the qualifying conditions. There's just one condition, uh, Huntington careers. I, mm -hmm. I don't have that. Uh, but then as my practice evolved over the years, I'm, I'm four and a half, almost four and three quarters of uh, year, years open, uh, I became pretty much pain management. And the first thing the pa patients say is, um, I want to get off the narcotics. Right. They're making me sick. I said, I know they're making you sick. You know, they're changing you, the biochemistry in your brain. And I start to educate them on that. And shortly, I have them off the narcotics. Uh, but uh, still getting them in the door and, and educating them, that's the biggest barrier I see. You know, mm -hmm. And I find that just getting patients in and getting the knowledge out there, you need a huge budget, which... You know, I, sure. I'm a little guy. I'm a solo guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, the research is identified. I mean, we know now that, you know, cannabis and because of the research that has been done and Dr. Mishulam out of Israel mm -hmm. identifying the, you know, the endocannabinoid system where most people don't understand that we have a system in our body. We make endocannabinoids ourselves without even consuming cannabis. Right. And although they're not the exact same molecule, they're antagonized by our systems, antagonized by the, you know, input of plant-based cannabinoids that actually, you know, actually stimulate receptors in our brain and in our nervous system that respond. And that respond for a myriad of different elements. I mean, in your book, your most recent book that, that you have out right now is uh, you talk about everything from, you know, uh, uh, Parkinson's disease, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, which I have, you know, uh, breast cancer, severe back pain, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic back pain, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And, you know, these are things, if you go back even 15 years ago, in Israel, they were trading some of their soldiers, allowing soldiers, people on active duty in their military, to treat their PTSD right. with 
you know, cannabinoids. And so, you know, it's going to take, it's taken a long time for America to catch up, but at least we're in the right direction now. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's just very slow. Like I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, new concepts are very slow and then they're going to pick up the m- momentum. So, you know, I've been called like the pioneer here in New York. So it's just trying to hold on to keep this going because it's, it's, it's difficult to maintain a business sure. and trying to keep this going. And uh, I'm just hoping that as more and people learn about this, I have something to offer and I can continue making a difference. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you so people can understand what you have to offer. Your approach to medicine and you said it earlier, but let's go back back up a little bit, is an integrative approach. Why don't you explain to people what that means so they understand the difference? Right, right. Um, again, I have formal training in family medicine. Um, I'm an osteopathic physician, so I also manipulate. Uh, I have a master's in clinical nutrition. So uh, what I do is I take an integrative approach uh, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, soul. So like look, listen, and feel. I look at the patient. I listen to the patient. I also feel the patient physically and emotionally. That's a huge component mm-hmm. that is missing today, especially today. It's all about volume. So when I'm speaking to the individual, I am making eye contact with them. Instead of looking at a screen and putting in data into this computer, I want the patient to see my eyes and I want to see them. I am reading them. Mm -hmm. So I take a holistic approach. I'm not treating just a cell. I'm treating the individual and I'm talking to them. Uh, I had several uh, in my book, and and this is not one time, several times I had um, men have issues. Um, They were just newly diagnosed with cancer. And so you could see them breaking down, and I just say, hey, listen, stand up. And so they stand up and say, give me a hug. You know, and they look at me and say, yeah, give me a hug. You know, and, and I give them, I said, come on, give me a real hug. And I, and I said, mm-hmm. listen, I'm here for you. We're going to do this together. Sure. Uh, you know, you need that. And the guy turns around, and a lot of times they'll say, thanks, Doc, I really need it. I said, listen, anytime you need a hug, you need to talk, give me a call. Sure. You can email me. I'm here 24 7. Yep, yep. And that's that uh, approach that I appreciate and, mm-hmm. and I want to offer uh, to my patients. And that allows you to then tailor their cannabis treatment specifically for the individual. That's right. correct. Yes. Right. Yes. And New York State, we have three different uh, uh, ratios. I call them categories. They mm-hmm. keep it really, really simple. Um, we have a high CBD, low THC, uh, THC, CBD are equal ratios. Then we have the high THC, low CBD ratio. And based on the medical condition or their symptoms that they would like me to address, together we make a decision. It's not I am telling the patient. Together as a team, we make a decision. And then what I do is I give them the necessary tools for them to manage their care, not me. Uh, when I'm doing high, um, uh, family medicine, hypertension, diabetes, I'm telling the patient, you have to take this pill once a day, twice a day. And I'm saying, you, ha-, you know, it's a little bit different approach. Uh, with the medical cannabis, I am saying you're in control. If you have a little pain, then only take a little. If you have moderate amount of pain, you take a little bit more. If you're in severe pain, then you can take this amount. So I basically teach them a sliding scale of how to use the cannabinoids. And they look at me and like, really? I said, yeah, you're in control. And just trust me, start low, go slow. That's what we stay in Mm -hmm. medicine. If you need the maximum to get the maximum, something's wrong. Allows the patient to titrate themselves. So I may wake up some mornings where I can't put my feet on the floor. And for me, early on when I started using cannabis, CBD was, you know, what helped me a little bit more with my inflammation and a little bit more with 
my pain. But now over time, I noticed that there are sometimes when I, I need a big gun, man, right. you know, get up in the morning. So I'd rather go 95.5. And then as I go through the day, I can change the ratio that I need right. to suit whatever I'm getting ready to face. Right. And that allows, again, to give me, putting the control in the patient's hand. That's correct. Yes, yes. Yeah, we have uh, a couple of companies offer that, mm-hmm. something very similar to what you're saying. And I say, I tell my patients, well, this is a beginner. You can start with the low ratio and then advance based on your needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like if you have like a breakthrough pain. Sure. I say, well, you know, some of my patients, they have, um, in one of my books, I, I in my book, I, I I discuss an individual who was on uh, chronic pain and multiple or polysubstance abuse. Mm -hmm. And I said that you're going to use a sliding scale. And for your baseline pain, use this ratio. When you have uh, breakthrough pain, then we can slide up and use the stronger version. And uh, we had some good success with that. Uh, I think the the cost, it's the cost that's the biggest uh, factor that, that we see. Right. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I, I've often said this, and I do not understand. You know, it's like when you look at the way pharmaceutical companies have done this in the past, and, and I get having to, you know, try to reabsorb, you know, the amount of money we spent on research. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why a lot of times a lot of the medications that we have have such a high sticker price. But excuse me, this is a weed. Stop. You know, I mean, I, I'm trying to smack this industry a little bit because, I mean, we should understand. I get it. We do have to buy very expensive equipment for extraction and we have to buy very expensive equipment to help us formulate. But, you know, once that initial outlay is done, you're processing a weed. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I also am a person who's a little bit I, – I, I, I don't say I'm, I take shots at the industry, but, you know, we spend a lot of time – trimming and cutting away the most important part of the plant just to make it look pretty in these little round nugs that go in these little bottles so that somebody can come up and look at it and go, oh, nice. Stop. This is stupid. This plant, you know, this is a plant that could grow on its own, honestly, if we just processed the plant. Right. Yes. And so, I mean, you know, with your book that you wrote, and, and, the, and the book is called Medical Marijuana, Real Life Success Stories by Dr. Thomas O'Brien. I think you should go out and, and uh, get a copy. And do you have a website that people can reach out to you on? Yes. Uh, okay. It's uh, www.doctommy.com. Doctommy.com. So I want people to go up on that website. But in your book, you talk about you've used examples, anecdotal examples of patients that have come to you. Yes. And you walk them through the process. Why don't you give us a couple of examples of, of some of the, the and various modalities of patients? Sure. Uh, I think the, the most, the, probably the, in this book, the, uh, uh, the most emotional is uh, dying with dignity. Sure. Uh, this was a, a fellow 9-11 uh, uh, provider, okay, mm-hmm. went out and for rescue missions, um, developed cancer. Mm-hmm. It came uh, was under standard treatments. The whole protocol uh, came to me for treatment. Uh, we started treating. Uh, the um, cancer seemed to um, it was in remission. It was doing well. Mm-hmm. I made him very comfortable. Uh, found, you know, good results. Uh, about uh, two years later, the cancer came back. Mm-hmm. Much more aggressive. Much, much right. more aggressive. Spread uh, it uh, spread throughout other organs. And um, came back to me and basically said, I go by Tommy, Dr. Tommy, Tommy, sure. whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm not really formal. I know my docs. Mm-hmm. You want to call me Dr. O, Tommy, it's fine. So he says, Tommy, I said, uh, he goes, 
things have changed. I said, well, what's wrong? And he says, uh, this is not good. I mm -hmm. don't have much longer. I go, well, what's happening? And he said that the cancer came back and spread. It's mm -hmm. in multiple organs now, and um, I want to go out on my terms. Uh, I said, okay. So I put him on palliative care. I said, sure. are you ready for this? And he says, yes. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I explained this, the sequence and how we're going to titrate up mm -hmm. and uh, went out on its terms. And so that, uh, and I, I discussed it. So I'm kind of like uh, making it a, a synopsis, a really brief, but if you read the, uh, the chapter and you can get a sense of doing a walkthrough, and that's why the book was written so you can actually feel emotionally as you're reading the sentences and the paragraphs sure. of the walkthrough and how we together make a decision and what would be the appropriate approach. And if I need to make tweaks and, you know, modify, we mm -hmm. do it. And you see it in the book. Um, you know, that's very interesting. That's one of the things that, that I, I'm, I'm so shocked here in the United States that we do what we do. And most, most people don't know that about 65 percent of all um, uh, expenses for medical care in this country literally are focused on the last two weeks of life. Yes. People don't understand that. They don't know that. We, we literally spend more money trying to get an extra minute, right. an extra hour, yeah. an extra day, an extra week, an extra month. And I'm not, look, I, 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 you know, I, I unfortunately have lived a life where I have faced my own mortality three times, looked it right in the face, right in the eye. And, you know, at the end of the day, each time that happened, Yes, I'm glad that, you know, I'm still here. But at the same time, for me, as something, you know, catastrophic is about to happen, I mean, I should be satisfied that I've lived, you know, the life I've lived. And I should be satisfied and happy with the fact that, you know, I get to go out on my own terms. And I should be happy that I'm not leaving my family destitute mm -hmm. trying to get me an extra hour. Right. Where And we don't discuss that. And it's so good that you discuss that in your book and give people the option to think that through. Right. Well, it's, um, you know, as, as a family physician, I'm on the other end, mm -hmm. you know, trying to give you life mm -hmm. and to be on the other end of the spectrum where we're at the very end. And I was willing to take that challenge and, and, and because emotionally – you know, I, I you know, you, as the person's telling you this, and I'm hearing what the person's saying. I know what Doctor Tommy wants, and then there's Tommy. You know, the sure. medical cannabis Tommy, and I'm saying, oh boy, <sighs> okay, this conflicts with my training, and I have to say what's best for the patient now. And it's just like with my my grandma when she passed away. The family came to me and says I had to make the decision. There was grandson Tommy and then there was the physician Tommy and the, the grandson says I want my grandma here mm -hmm. and then the physician says okay the reality is is grandma's not going to be here and I want her to pass with ease and dignity that's right yeah. and so basically I you know I gave the order okay let's say let's, let's start a morphine drip uh mm -hmm. this is this is it and get the whole family here and say you're you know, your goodbyes and, you know, you know, say I love you. And we all had to do that. The family showed up and I, and I gave the order and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Sure. Yeah. Has to make that, someone has to make that decision. And so I made that decision. I'm willing to make that decision. It's, it's tough. It's really tough. You know, I, you know, you, being, you have to be spiritual uh, and you have to, you have to love people. Right. And that's, you know, I, I can look at the emotion in your face when we were speaking, but it's an emotion that you don't see in a lot of doctors uh, these <laughs> yeah, days. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's, it's tough to, to, how do you teach that? 
Well, I think I think it's your upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I was very, you know, I'm blessed. I have, you know, mom and dad. You know, I'm Irish and Italian, so I'm a Mick Guinea. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, both sides are very uh, compassionate people. Uh, you know, if you came to our house for a holiday, everyone's yelling, but we're really having a conversation. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's funny. You know, every, you know, it just gets higher and higher because everyone's so passionate. Sure. And, uh, you know, everyone wants to share the stage. And um the uh you know being brought up and and educated my parents were educators so mm-hmm. my father taught at Nassau Community College for 52 years my mom taught uh, for 35 years in, in Suffolk County and at, at the public school level so that education and that uh, that holistic approach of saying listen you know you're not going to educate one specific group of people it's everyone we're bringing everyone together uh, here's a little uh, quick uh, little little uh, fun fact there uh, my, my father helped establish the uh, Afro-American Studies program at Nassau Community College in the early 1970s. In my book, I talk about, I call him, he's uh, he's another father of mine, and that was Professor Jenkins, and he was the the, uh, administrator. And what we had, the race riots in the early 70s, and they said, we got to do something right now. And he says, let's get this. They didn't have a budget for it, so they put this program together because my father was assistant president and, you know, dean and, and so forth. He says, let's put this together. It's for all of us, and that's our mission. We're educators. We educate all, uh, not one group. It's all of us together. So I brought up in my house, anyone can come over. I mean, because my fam- my crew is a mix. It's a blend. You know, it's not sure. one. It's a blend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up in Freeport on Long Island, so that's a mixed community. And uh, my doors were open, so I'd come home late after playing sports, and my friends are hanging out. You know, mom being Italian, she's always cooking, saying, mm-hmm. no, you can't leave the house. Did you eat? If you didn't eat, you have to eat. You know, you, you can't leave till you eat. Uh, so that was that community, and I, I was raised in that. And, mm-hmm. and I said, oh, this is an extension of who I am, my family, and that's how I practice. Everyone gets treated equally. Not one, I don't care if you make a million a year or if you don't have a penny in your pocket. I'm treat, treating you exactly the same. I'm going to do whatever I can to get you the best care. Uh, and I got success. I'm doing this, like I said, almost three decades. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. I mean, you know, it's it's tough. It's changed in, in 30 years, the, the medicine, trying to practice. Uh, but I'm doing the best I can and making a difference. I have fun doing it. And, you, you know, you know that there are people who are listening, tuned in right now, especially even in New York and Manhattan, who <laughs> could use the help when it comes to cannabis, but they're just afraid. How do you, what would you say to them right now to get them to to understand that, you know, there's information out here that could help you so why not come in and ask the question? Right, right. Uh, the big thing is this, this is nothing new. This has been around um, since the, the 1950s. Right. Well, okay. Cannabis has been around well, since 5,000 yeah. years, written about by, you know, in, in, in <laughs> cornucopia of Chinese medicine, 3,000 years right. B.C. Right, right. Well, you know, I would say the grandfather uh, of can- uh, medical cannabis uh, over in Israel. So the studies and, you know, the story about going to the police station and getting the, the cannabis and experimenting mm-hmm. with it in, in the labs. Uh, but this is nothing new. This has been around, like you said, 27,000 years. It's been around a long time. Uh, the key is to be educated and understand it's not street. Right. You know, it's medicinal. It's quality uh, there's quality assurance, quality controls. You're getting specific ratios. Uh, the ratios are designed for specific uh, function within the body. And if you go to someone who really understands these ratios and, and how to treat it, come on in. Especially with me, I'm doing this uh, five years. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of reading uh, just to go over so you have an understanding. Um, to, in order to prescribe medical cannabis, you have to take a course. It's a four and a half hour course, and then you take the exam. Well, in addition, I didn't I didn't feel comfortable. 
uncomfortable, uh, that I didn't have enough information. I didn't feel qualified after that 4.5 course. I did an additional 12 hours reading because every time I read something about it, there was a new word, a new terminology. Sure. And, and then that was a question. I said, well, what does this mean? I kept reading, reading. Uh, after about 16 total hours, that's when I felt comfortable. said, I understand this. I'm ready to take care of patients. Up until that point, I just didn't feel comfortable. And we're talking, uh, you know, the, the January 2015. That's how long we've been practicing. So I'm uh, approaching five years. This January will be five years. Okay, make sure you know that's Dr. Thomas O'Brien, Dr. Tommy. <laughs> and again, the book that's out right now is called Marijuana, Medical Marijuana, Real Life Success Stories. I suggest you go out and get a copy of it. And you can reach him and find him on www.drtommy.com. And, you know, I think... In the last week or two, we've now seen that there are some unscrupulous players in this industry, and we know that. You have medical marijuana that is being sold at licensed dispensaries that are certified by state, and then you have people in the street who are still doing black market you know, exploitation right. of people. And now we've got some products in the marketplace that are extremely deleterious to your health. Some of them are extremely deleterious. How do you think we get beyond this? And again, it's through education, but right. what do we have to do to tell people that, no, you don't have to worry about every product out there, right. but just stop buying stuff from, you know, Vinnie down the corner, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Um, well, the first is you have to break down that that negative stigma. You know, it's, uh, let's, let's, Turn on a positive light. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's educate community, uh, and we need to get the government more involved. Yes. Let's bring the cost down. Let's open up more dispensaries, make sure there's quality assurance, and we really need a governing body to oversee this. Um, that was my biggest complaint about CBD. I love CBD mm-hmm. uh, because of the receptors. You're not going to get high from the CBD. CB2 sure. receptors are not in the central nervous system. Right. And found in other organs. And they do very well. It makes you very, very focused. Excellent. I love it. Mm -hmm. So we really need a governing body to oversee this so we know that we're getting what you're paying for. If it's on that label saying it's... 5,000 milligrams of CBD, that it's 5,000. It that's right. right. You know what I mean? You're talking about an entire bottle. Uh, yeah, that would probably be about 50, a little bit less than 50 milligrams per ml. Sure. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, I've read horror stories where people purchased and they brought them to the lab and there was no CBD in it. Absolutely. So that's, that's not right. You're, you're stealing now. Um, so if we have a governing body, so we'd have to some sort of governing body oversee this and regulate um, to, to make sure and protect, like a consumer protect. Sure. And, and that's that will start to change things. And I, I think one of the things that really has to step up is that the industry has to start policing itself. I mean, you take a look at, you know, for what, 30 years, you know, we had the, uh, the hyperbaric community mm-hmm. that really had no oversight. You know, they actually police themselves because, you know, oxygen is a medicine and should be treated that way. And, you know, you had an industry that stopped and said, you know what, we got to take a look at the bad players that are out here, the people Mm -hmm. that are hurting people who are divers, hurting people who are using it for, you know, medicinal purposes and, and, you know, call them out. And that's what this industry needs to start doing. And I think, you know, the first day that we step up to the plate and at least acknowledge that we need the help and we want to be a participant in policing, 
I think things will change. Right, Doctor Tommy, I, I can't. I got to wish you really good luck, sir, and, and hopefully, you. you know, your practice will blossom. Eleven hundred is a small number in a city with eleven million people. I know. <laughs> I, mean, I know. That's. I, uh, I, I would have thought that I would have had that my first year. <laughs> right. I wish there was a but. Again, I, I want to make sure you, if you're listening out there, you're listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel, and you know, go up on the website www.doctommy.com. Get some more information. Thank you so much, sir, for being with us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You have a great day, man. Absolutely.